The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Hello and welcome to the third episode of the 2020 season of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. I am the namesake. Thank you for joining us once again and listening to this podcast. This is a weekly podcast. Podcast about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. Thank you for the like, the subscribe, the download, and maybe even the like on our Facebook page. If you have not liked us on Facebook, like us at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. There's all kinds of polls and resources and things like that to look up and interact with every week. We ask that you do that and help us out and make this your show just as much as it is my show. This week, we'll take a look at our poll question from last week about what's in a name for teams in this area. We'll take a look at this week's poll question. It's going to relate to COVID-19, as you might expect. I have some thoughts on on our interview last week with Parkersburg South head coach Nathan Tanner and we joined this week by St. Mary's High School football coach Jody Moat. We'll talk about the Blue Devils in their 2020 season and the gear up for that season and we'll talk about that a win is a win is a win night benefit that they have planned later on this month in honor of coach Bill Hanlon and to support the Bill Hanlon Scholarship Fund. Some news and notes for you. Let's take a look at our latest schedule updates. Meadowbrook and Marietta will now meet August 28th. Meadowbrook originally had Wheeling Park scheduled. Marietta had Magnolia scheduled. So both of those schools were looking to replace West Virginia schools. Of course, in Ohio, they haven't ruled out starting as early as August 28th, which would have been week one in West Virginia as well. So since both of those schools had West Virginia teams, they were a good fit. And Meadowbrook and Marietta, that's a good matchup. Those two teams should be playing anyway. That's just about 30 miles apart on I-77. That'll be a fun matchup in week one between Meadowbrook and Marietta. Also, Peyton City has filled a vacancy on their football schedule. They've picked up a home game against Racine Southern Ohio. That will be played on October 16th. So Marietta Meadowbrook, August 28th, October 16th, will be Racine and Peyton City. And perhaps the biggest school in the area that still had an unfilled vacancy was Parkersburg High School. The Big Reds will welcome Bluefield October 16th at Stadium Field. According to the message boards, those schools have only met eight times. Bluefield won the the last meeting, 34-31, October 26th, 1991. Been a while since Bluefield has taken on PHS. For Bluefield, it's a step up to a Class AAA school. For PHS, it's a chance to take on a perennial power in Class AA. Make no mistake about the AA-AAA split there. That's going to be a fairly even matchup and a really good ball game set for October 16th from Stadium Field when Bluefield visits Parkersburg. That leads us into a discussion about scheduling and the adjustments that other states have made to their fall sports schedules. This was looming as a topic that we have needed to discuss, and I think it's time we do. There's been some news in that realm this week. Just this week, Maryland Public Schools has postponed both their fall and their winter sports seasons because of coronavirus concerns. The decision comes as many school districts are delaying in-person learning, and it comes three months after the cancellation of the 2020 spring sports season because of the pandemic. In Maryland, fall practices had previously been postponed to start September 1st or later. By the way, if you're not familiar in West Virginia, They've been postponed from August 3rd. This was supposed to be the first week of formal practice, and they will not start until August 17th. Maryland's association is working to finalize modified competition seasons for all sports during the second semester of the school year. They might come in shorter seasons, in modified seasons, and in different order than we expect them. We'll get to that in just a minute. But the idea is to have them as with as little overlap as possible so that the young people involved still get to play. So Maryland has made a decision just this week to not play football in the fall. 
football. Another state that will not be playing football in the fall, Virginia. They made that announcement a couple weeks ago. The Virginia High School Executive Committee voted unanimously to delay the beginning of fall sports until a final determination is made July 27th. They've got three options on the table to bring back high school athletics, but none of those options include football in the fall. The first model involves leaving all sports in their current season. That would allow things like golf and cross country to compete, so they might still do that in the fall. High-risk sports, things like field hockey, football, volleyball, and cheer, those are deemed high-risk and they would not compete in the fall. There's another model that involves switching the fall and spring seasons. That would mean sports like track and field, tennis, baseball, soccer, and softball would go to the fall. I guess in Virginia, soccer is a spring sport. And a third model would delay all sports and leave all sports in the season where they're currently aligned. The winter sports would take place December through mid-February, with the fall sports coming February through the beginning of May, and the spring season starting early April running into June. That third model would run that later into June, but put the fall sports between winter and spring instead of before winter. It seems like, based on what we're reading out of Virginia, that might be what they elect to do as well. But regardless of which plan is picked in Virginia, football will not be played this fall in both Virginia and Maryland, and those are big football states. Of course, West Virginia bordered by five states, and not all of them have decided to move off of fall entirely. If you're hoping for high school sports in Kentucky this fall, fans there got a ray of hope last week when their Athletic Association's Board of Control approved a plan to begin competition in September. Their football season will start September 11th. Other sports will start September 7th, and they'll begin practicing here in a couple weeks. In Pennsylvania, they're taking a look at what's happened in Maryland yesterday and the news that came out in Maryland, but they have a decision to make themselves. The Pennsylvania Interscholastic Athletic Association is going to have to make that decision on fall athletics, although their governor there says that Maryland's decision doesn't bode well for what they're doing. The Whippeal, the Western Pennsylvania Interscholastic Athletic League, it's reported that they are looking at a delay to their season, but of course if the state delays or postpones to the spring, that's going to force their hand as well. And in Ohio, they're looking at changes that could come as soon as this week to things governing testing and spectators that contact sporting events in Ohio. As of right now, schools are able to make that decision on their own, and many of them have started practice this week in Ohio with games there starting as soon as August 28th. But it's expected that there uh, may be some new rules to what's designated as low contact, what's designated as high contact and high impact. So the rules might be changing on the fly in Ohio. And Governor Mike DeWine told a newspaper on Monday that the current health order there is, quote, basic a placeholder. To run that back for you, Virginia is still looking at three different plans, though none of them involve high school football in the fall. Maryland has officially postponed their high school football, and they're still working on an exact plan for what they're going to do. Pennsylvania thinks that, well, because Maryland has made that move, that might force their hand and might force it soon. Ohio is leaving the status quo for now, and Kentucky has a delayed start to the season. That's where West Virginia is right now. So again, these have big impacts on what happens happens in West Virginia because how many schools in this state border one or two of those states? Uh, many of them do, and many of them that don't even border those states necessarily or aren't flush against that border schedule schools into nearby states, and a lot of teams have had to adjust because of what's happened in other places. Look at places like Martinsburg and the Eastern Panhandle, where it's likely that you could have two different states on your schedule, Pennsylvania and Maryland, two different states that aren't your own, or even three, 
you're looking at Virginia. It's not out of the realm that a school in the eastern panhandle could schedule schools from all three of those different states. And if you're in the northern panhandle, you could easily have a, a Pennsylvania or an Ohio and, and the same in the southern part of the state with Virginia and Kentucky respectively. So West Virginia's athletic officials, Bernie Dolan of the WVSSAC, the executive director, looking closely at what's being done in other states and adjusting West Virginia's plans to what happens in those states. And this is a story that's going to continue to develop, but it seems like the first dominoes are beginning to shift. As Virginia's announced intentions not to play football this fall, they did that in the middle of last month. Now, Maryland has followed suit as of Monday. Pennsylvania may make a decision soon. We'll see what happens with Ohio, West Virginia, and Kentucky as a result. But we may see a sea change. We'll have much more on this topic later in the program. Let's take a look at this week's poll question, and this one figured to be one that had a lot of strong opinions. We asked you, should local schools, notably Ritchie County and Parkersburg High Schools, consider changing their names and or mascots following recent controversies over the political correctness of certain nicknames? Why or why not? 33 people answered the question, and of those 33, 82% said keep the names the same. 18% said the names need to go. Again, asking whether or not local schools, notably Ritchie County and Parkersburg High Schools should consider changing their names and mascots following recent controversies over the political correctness of certain nicknames. Of course, Ritchie County, the Rebels, and there's been a lot of negative backlash against Confederate imagery in the light of the murder of George Floyd and murder of Breonna Taylor and the Black Lives Matter movement that's really risen to prominence and the discussion on race that we're having in this country right now. And that's also led to looking at some of the Native American-themed mascots. Washington and the NFL has notably changed their name, or at least they've vacated the past nickname, and now they're just going to be the Washington football team for this season. You know, there are a number of Native American themed mascots to the one that Washington had. There's the Atlanta Braves, the Florida State Seminoles, Chicago Blackhawks, and the Cleveland Indians, just to name a few. Some of them are named after specific tribes. Some of them are named after larger groups of people. The Fighting Irish of Notre Dame is another one that gets thrown into this conversation because that is an ethnicity. And many of these names, the argument is often made, can be used to honor the people that they're named after, the group they're named after. I have a hard time arguing that the Washington name is anything but a slur, and that one needed to go. I think every other Native American name that's on a team in professional or major college sports, you could at least make some kind of an argument for, but I don't see any argument that could have preserved the Washington football team's nickname, because again, that is meant as a derogatory slur. There's no way that that's not a racial slur and people have been getting away with it as a nickname until 2020. And if it weren't for some of this unrest over the summer that's led sponsors to pull out, and don't think it was public opinion that changed Dan Snyder's mind in Washington, it was money. When the money stopped flowing and when sponsors threatened to pull out or pulled out, that's when it was time to make a change. The right thing was done there, but not for the right reasons necessarily. But it's brought this debate now to a local level because there are a lot of schools in a lot of communities that have nicknames that are like this, and some of them are a little more egregious than others. Let's take a look at Ritchie County first. Ritchie County has made claims that this is a nickname that is not born of Confederate backgrounds. It's born of a feeling of rebellion between smashing Pennsboro High School and Harrisville High School. And I want to read what Kenny Wright said on Facebook about this back at the end of June. Kenny Wright is a longtime head coach at Ritchie County High School, but coached previously before that. But he has some unique perspective on this. As a longtime coach at Ritchie County High School and as part of the committee that was formed around the time of the consolidation to come up with a new identity for the new school. 
In a post on June 26th, Kenny Wright wrote, We voted unanimously to use Rebels as the mascot. The reason for using that mascot was based on the squabble that preceded the consolidation. There was no racism involved in the decision. Now, after all these years, racism is brought up. When we talked about colors, everyone was in favor of navy, blue, and silver. That might have been because of the Dallas Cowboys, which is valid. Several types of Rebel emblems were used until the Rebel logo in the center of the basketball floor was adopted as the official logo. That Rebel is the same as the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And he says he posted that on Facebook so people would know how that came about. And he also points out that there's other schools that are named Rebels. Tulsa is named the Rebels. Look at Ole Miss. They're the Rebels. Uh, There's a lot of other Rebels out there that exist in sports today. So, again, good insight from former Ritchie County High School head coach Kenny Wright. It's noteworthy and important to know why they picked that name and why they landed on that name. However, that is a school and a name and a community that has, at some point, brought Confederate imagery to that brand and to that name. Try going into Ritchie County and seeing how far you get once you enter Pennsboro, once you enter Harrisville, once you enter Ellenboro. See how far you get without seeing some kind of a Confederate soldier image attached to Ritchie County or Ritchie County High School. You're not going to get too far. There's a rebel on a sign. As you're coming in on Route 16 from St. Mary's, there is a rebel on a sign very early on in town. There are rebels painted on the football building, the facilities building at the end of the football field. You go inside the school, there's rebel imagery. You go into Harrisville, there's rebel imagery there. And I know that they're a town and a community that's very supportive of Ritchie County High School and supportive of that identity. And that's not something you get in all of consolidations. See also Tyler Consolidated, because there's a lot of resentment in that community over Tyler Consolidated, closing Sistersville and Tyler County in Middleburn. And they've not really rallied around that Silver Knights identity. So you don't often get this in consolidations. And Ritchie County is a consolidation that worked because they all bought into that identity, the rebel name. And and there's rebel pride out there. However, that over the years has taken on some Confederate imagery with it, and that needs to go. So if you're Ritchie County, if you're going to move forward with that name, fine. But find an identity that can continue to do that without using Confederate imagery. The Block R is a good one to use. They've used that for a number of things. And I think there's a strong emphasis around block letters that could build. But if you want a physical mascot, look for some pioneers of West Virginia. Look for somebody like Arthur I. Borman, the first governor of West Virginia. He was out of Parkersburg. He was somebody who was involved in the Constitutional Convention. Find one of the founding fathers. Or stick James Dean on the helmet or something like that. Either way, he's a rebel without a cause. You've got to move away from the Confederate imagery because that's something that has been glorified for way too long in this country. Even glorifying the Confederate soldier glorifies a system that led to slavery in this country. And I think we all should be able to agree that slavery was wrong and is not something that needs to be glorified. We need to remember that it existed, but not in a way that glorifies it. Looking at Parkersburg High School. Big Reds is awfully close to the Washington football name. That is a racial slur. And I'm not calling Parkersburg's nickname a racial slur, but they use a lot of Native American imagery. And is it used to honor Native Americans? That's a a big question that needs to be asked. And how do you get permission to use it? Do you just go find a Native American group and run it by them? I, I don't know. I think you really need to ask yourself what you're trying to do with that nickname and whether or not it's worth marginalizing an entire group of people. Or if you couldn't do something different with that nickname. St. John's was the Red Men for a long time. Then they became the Red Storm. You could do a lot of things with that big block P. Again, block letters. Those are nice emblems to have. And those look good on logos, jackets, hats, everything. 
I definitely think dialing down the Native American imagery is something that needs to happen at Parkersburg High School, and I've thought that for a little while. If you put a human mascot that's not of Native American descent and have that person pretending to be Native American, that's not done to honor. It's a very sticky subject because people are passionate about that, and and that's always something that's baffled me a little bit. Why is this a hill that so many people are willing to die on? I know the tradition is tradition, and these traditions sometimes die hard, but in culture, in life, just Just because something has been done for a long time does not mean that that's right. There are a lot of bits of language and insults that people of my generation would use in school. We learn they're not appropriate. You should not use a gender identity, a race, a nationality, an ethnicity as a slur against somebody, a disability as a slur against somebody. And that's something that used to happen when I was growing up. It probably still happens in schools today. But then you get older and you learn better. And you learn that there is a person behind that. And anytime you use these nicknames, nicknames, you've got to remember there is a human being behind that nickname. And is it really worth it to marginalize human beings? Because what we're doing by accepting some of these names, we're inherently teaching kids to accept that that's okay. We're inherently teaching kids to accept that it's okay to marginalize somebody for their race, for their ethnicity, for their heritage. On some level, that is how systemic racism and discrimination happens. When we don't break that cycle, when we don't break that chain, when we don't tell our kids, hey, this is wrong, don't do this, it's not okay to do this. We need to see things from the viewpoints of others. And the conversation needs to be inclusive. Uh, It needs to include people of all groups. And it needs to be something that's done in that community. I know there's not a one-size-fits-all answer to this. There, in other times, have been groups from out of this area that have come in and tried to suggest changes in athletics and sports and in the schools in this area. I know the Freedom From Religion organization has had things to say about the use of Bible verses when those have been associated with some programs. I think this needs to be a local decision and not a decision that some out-of-the-area group gets involved in. But either way, we need to really look at some of these nicknames and what we're doing by okaying these nicknames and the message we're sending our kids. Again, if you don't understand systemic racism, ask a black person about systemic racism. Ask about the ways where, in 2020, a minority still feels marginalized and still feels the playing field is not level. Uh, This is a conversation that needs to be a diverse one and it needs to be inclusive of all groups. Again, we had 33 votes, so we also had some comments on this one. I want to read those for you and share those with you. Craig Dutton messaged me this, he texted me this this week, but he also posts something similar to it. He says, you covered most of the parts I thought of in the final minutes of your episode last week when setting up the question for the poll, because I did comment a little bit more on this last week than I usually do leading into that week's poll. He goes, even though I'm not personally attacked by any of the school's nicknames, it can and should be up for discussion by a board of education or athletic department at any time if a school's nickname appears to be offensive to a number of people considering the background of that nickname. I do believe I'm only limited to making any change in a community where I live and pay taxes, but these two schools' communities you mentioned should either make the decision to change their mascot or leave things the same. It should be decided by their taxpayers or just by the student-athletes who wear the name themselves. A lot of people are blinded by the fact that change always occurs and we should always make an effort to help understand others who may be marginalized by a nickname that's meant to show pride for a community and their team. Craig brings up an interesting point there. Craig says he believes he's only limited to making change in a community where he lives and pays taxes. And he's right. You know, If you live and pay taxes in one of these school districts that has a nickname, then that's something that your money is going to fund and your money is going to rubber stamp essentially if you don't speak out. If you live in that community and that bothers you that the school's name that, by all means, you have every right to speak out. There are a lot of petitions by alumni that don't live in those communities anymore and they have some skin in the game because they have a degree or a diploma with those schools' names on them, but still you can have an opinion on it if you don't live in the area, but bottom line 
is, if you're not part of that community, then what role do you really have in that community's decision-making process? That's a valid argument to make there. It's a valid point to make there. But people are blinded by the fact that change sometimes needs to occur. I mentioned this last week, what's in a name? Because a lot of schools way back when, when sports were really first becoming organized, uh, they changed nicknames every year. They had a different identity every year because it was more specific to that team than it was a brand for a college, a high school, or a university. And that's how some of these identities evolved over the years. One just stuck sometimes, and, and that's how that worked out. But we're married to these because they've been that way for a long time. And as we said earlier, just because something's been that way for a long time does not necessarily mean it's right. John Mike Nichols writes, for many people, this debate comes down to one question, tribute or stereotype. How is the image slash mascot depicted? Does it instill pride in a school or community? Kenny Wright, the legendary coach in Ritchie County, gave an online history lesson on what went into selecting the Rebel mascot. But I agree with Craig Dutton. This is an issue best left up to the individuals within a community. And again, John Mike also saw Coach Wright's comments on that when those came out at the end of June. And I think there's a lot of wisdom to be gained from that because who better to speak about that decision-making process than someone who was in the room for that decision-making process. Again, my counter-argument would be that names and identities and, and meanings of things can and do evolve over time. I used the example of the Cincinnati Reds last week. They were the Reds for a very long time. And then in the 50s, when people were scared about communism and the pervasiveness of communism, maybe in government, maybe in some of our higher levels of society, they changed their identity for not just one or two years. They changed it for about seven or eight years, I want to say, they were the red legs because reds was considered an evil word and an evil thing in America. So they adjusted to the climate of the times that they were living in. There are a lot of nicknames out there that aren't troublesome now, but maybe down the road, who knows? It's hard to tell the way society will go. Again, that's an issue that's probably best left up to the individuals within a community. But at the very least, I think these schools, these communities, and not just locally, but other schools in this state, in this country, that have nicknames that are of questionable origin or school names that are named after people that really we shouldn't be honoring need to be looking to change those names, need to be looking to change those identities. Is it a tribute? Is it a stereotype? And if it's a school name, does that person deserve being paid a tribute of that nature, having their name on a building? As we grow up now, a lot of the things that are named, whether it's a street, a building, a city, a, a school, those were named before many of us were born. A lot has changed since the times where those names were given. Our cities, our counties, everything was named after somebody. And not all those people were all that good of people or, or deserved to have their name on a city. A lot has been made of Christopher Columbus and the way he was and the fact that his name graces Ohio State Capitol and whether or not that should continue to be as such. I think it's going to be harder to change a municipality or a county, but a school, a nickname, yeah, I think there needs to be honest discussion about that. So I want to thank John Mike Nichols and Craig Dutton for chiming in. Again, 33 people voted on that one. We'll have another poll for you for this week, and we'll announce that later in the program. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, answer our weekly poll question, and feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. And we're joined this week by St. Mary's head coach Jody Moat. Welcome to the program. Hi, Eric. Jody's probably the person in my career, wherever I've gone, I've interviewed the most. I've probably interviewed Jody more than anybody else. Did you know that? Have I ever told you that? Uh, no, I didn't know that, but I uh, know I've talked to you a lot. And yeah. I appreciate the coverage. Yeah, you're, you're, you're probably up there on the list or pretty high up on that list. How, how have you and the family been during COVID and what kinds of things have you been doing? 
you know, obviously we try to get down and see my parents, but with the COVID situation and their health, we didn't do that. So we just kind of like stayed around the house. Uh, my youngest daughter, she graduated from high school in the middle of June. So we went down there for her graduation in North Carolina. And then my oldest daughter, she graduated from Glenville, but obviously they didn't have a ceremony. Zach, he's just finished with the Army in Georgia. And then he'll be moving to Fort Bragg here soon. And then uh, Jay and Noah both will be in the middle school this year. One's in eighth grade and one's in fifth grade. You're starting to get them all over the place, Coach. And I've seen you out yeah. and about a number of times. I know you and the family have hit up the outdoors a little bit. I run into you multiple times at the park. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I went down in Belmont while everything was COVID shut down up to high school. Yeah. We, we went down to Belmont. So, like I said, I think I told you about the hike we took there behind the, the hill there, uh, behind the middle school. That was a unique experience that we normally wouldn't have taken if, if it wasn't for COVID. So there's been advantages and disadvantages, but obviously we're ready to uh, try to move on as much as possible. That's one of the things we want to talk about here as we, we turn to football. How have the workouts been affected and your 2020 prep been affected by COVID? When my daughter graduated from high school, we went down there for that, and then the uh, staff, started the first week after the Board of Education approved us to go ahead and begin workouts in phase one of the uh, SAC office regulations. So they did an excellent job with that. They started actually using chairs to help distance the uh, kids from each other and we put them in pods. So we're going to continue with those chairs through the season. That's been a positive and I credit our staff with that. So we started about the middle of June, went to phase one and then went to phase two, which included the weight room started that back up I think the end of June or first of July and then of course we had our three-week period and then we have our flex days now and then continue in the weight room and it was just neat seeing when we're up there soccer and you had softball and then baseball you hear them playing and basketball was in the gym both girls and boys and volleyball the golf team so it's just neat seeing you know, all of our sports and coaches trying to, to do what they can during this COVID situation. And, and thankfully, we've progressed well, uh, I think. And, uh, and we'll just uh, see how it goes. Who do you think the shutdowns have hurt the most between skill players and line? Or is it really too early in the process to have hurt either one of those more than the other? Honestly, this is probably the best offseason we've had as far as kids participating. I don't know why. I think a lot of it has to do with COVID. You know, we had a good weight room program going up through March. Of course, you had kids in basketball and wrestling, and then they would come over. And then the ones that were going out for baseball or track, they would go ahead and switch. And then, of course, COVID hit us. And then, you know, we started back up after the board met there in June and approved us to go ahead and begin our out-of-season continuation. We just had a positive turnout. And like I said, I think it's kids just being tied up. I think that's one of it. And then the other part of it is we, our staff done a great job with these young men, and these guys are one to better themselves. So I appreciate that from, from the students and from the staff. Back in the playoffs last year after an absence the year before, what's the next step for this program and how do you get there? I mean, just from day one, you're trying to just play hard and have fun and you don't have to work hard. And you just hope the kids have some success as far as the win column. And that's always been our goal. And then obviously, you know, able to make the playoffs, that's always been a goal for us. And then try to see how far you can go in the playoffs. And ultimately, your, your ultimate goal is to win a championship. But some great teams, some great staffs aren't able to do that. So we're, we're blessed to have done that. But we, we tried to, uh, 
each year. It's a new year and try to uh, do what you can, especially for the seniors. The seniors are the ones that just breaks my heart. The spring season, we lost all that. And the seniors that were obviously not football, but, you know, kids in baseball or track or any of the sports, male or female, you, you hate it for the seniors. So your senior season you, you, or your senior season, you know, you try to prep as much as you can mentally and physically to uh, help them have a good year. Based on the offensive skill players you have coming back, what kind of a team are you going to figure to have style-wise? Are you going to be able to have a balance between running and throwing, and, and are you going to be able to do that when you want to do it? When we were able to go to the island and, and win a championship and, and run our cup times, we were just blessed with so much speed. I mean, my Zach, he was a, a nobody, so to speak, just because we, we were just so blessed with speed. But Zach did a great job for us, and now on this team – on any of the teams since then, he would be a, a stud as far as the speed goes because the speed is where we're just not blessed with that. But we have kids who have worked hard. I believe they've gotten stronger, and I believe they've gotten year older, so so their knack for the game and, and being able to uh, show that on the field, I, I look for that to happen. With that said, I, I believe we're strength, you know, is our skill position. Quarterback, you know, Brandon had to go in there as a sophomore and start. We struggled, and he stayed with it and uh, had a good year last year, and, and now this is his senior year. And then, of course, you have the um, skill kids, which I believe is our strength this year. And then our line, offensive line, is something that we're going to have to continue to develop. And then defensively, I feel we'll probably be ahead of the offense just because normally that's what happens one but two i think you're able to move some of those kids at the defensive line position that obviously you wouldn't be moving to the offensive line position on offense i look for us to be able to to throw the football some coach archer he's helping us with the offensive play call in there uh, as far as the passing game goes especially so that'll help uh because I feel like we ha- that's one of our strengths. And then, um, you know, I feel like you know, we'll have to be able to run the ball, obviously. And I think the year that will help lead the team to the championship that we had, I believe, looking back on because I, I don't do it during the season, but I'll look back on it after the season ended. And I believe we were uh, 60-40 or 70-30 pass-run ratio. So, you know, we just do whatever, whatever is successful. And I think the critical thing with this year – more so than ever, any year we've ever had, is your kids are going to have to understand what they're doing, both a starter and a backup because of the COVID situation. Because if you have a kid out, obviously, you're going to have to prep for that each week. So I think from a coach's standpoint, and I've talked to our staff about this, and I'll continue to reinforce it, I think both offense, defense, and special teams, you're going to have to make sure that all the kids know what they're doing for the most part because you never know when they're going to be called upon. You're talking about that 2016 team, and that brings up something I wanted to mention with you. You've had teams, and maybe more so than any other school in this area, you've had teams that won when you could run the ball and you had a lot of speed. You've had teams that won when you didn't have a lot of speed and you managed to move the ball. You've had teams that win when you had good quarterback play or stronger quarterback play or teams that had less experienced quarterbacks. But you found more different ways to win, maybe, than any team in this area. What does that say about the strength of your program, and what does that tell you? about St. Mary's football and the ways you've managed to win in the past? Well, I mean, first and foremost, you have to have a staff. And I believe since I started in 2002, our staff, you know, has changed each year or every so often. 
you have to have guys that are willing to buy into the team concept. And the team concept is making sure that, that it's not about Jody Mode, it's not about John Doe, whether it be a player or a coach, it's about us as a team. That will always be our our goal and, and that will be our drive as long as I'm I'm doing it. So I think it just goes goes back to us as a team, not us as, a, as an individual getting this or getting that. And the kids have always been able to accept that. And I mean, you take Jaden Smith, the best running back, best I've seen anyways. He could have had thousands upon thousands upon thousands of yards, but he just understood that. So that just goes with a lot of our guys who have played for us is that it's just a team game and uh, there's no one person uh, any better than anybody else. You mentioned earlier you like this year's skill group. What is it in particular you like about this group? They're older, obviously, so a year older. And like I said, there are just so many kids through the years who you've looked at this kid as a freshman or sophomore or junior, and maybe they're you know not so, but by the time they get to be a senior, it's neat to see the growth that they have. I think their willingness to get better Logan Rice, he works hard. Darren Borte, he works hard. Kyle West, Ben Long, those are some some guys. Jason Clayton, you know, those are some guys offensively from from a skill position set that you know I look for them to be able to uh, hopefully have a, a strong year for us. We just got to develop the offensive line. Of course, like I said, there's kids who I haven't mentioned, but they'll be as critical as those guys I did mention just because it's a team game. Well, before I let you go, and this is something I've kind of asked everyone for, I know you're not a big TV and movie guy. We've talked a little bit about movies the last couple times I've run into you. Do you have streaming recommendations for the people? If there's people out there that are like, you know what, I want to watch what Coach Moat's watching. What are you watching right now? I'll be honest with you, I don't really do a lot of that just because all you see is the negativity with the news yeah but during the covid situation i got the football movies out that i that i haven't watched for a while and some i hadn't watched at all the power passion and glory it was a, it was a texas uh, a dvd that i watched uh, during the covid situation when we were stuck inside and couldn't work with the guys that was a pretty powerful uh, movie. So I've watched The Junction Boys and Invincible and uh, Woodlawn, different stuff like that. That was, uh, like I said, that was during the, the COVID uh, situation. Normally, I don't even do that, but my sons and I, we watched it, and Manny watched it sometimes. So, you know, just try to try to um, get out and get away from the negativity. That, that's important. Power, Passion, and Glory, uh, the real story of Texas football madness. I, I've looked it up here. You can buy it on Amazon. It, it's awesome. It's awesome. In fact, somebody wants to borrow it, they can, they can get a hold of me and borrow it. Well, they, they, it there you go. Very neat. I'll have to uh, check it out sometime. And I want to mention this because I forgot to mention this just about. Friday, August 14th at 730. It's the first ever Coach Bill Hanlon. A win is a win is a win night. Can you tell us about that? You know, obviously, Coach Hanlon just meant so much to me personally. I mean, outside my father, who, uh, who thankfully still living, and he lives in Arkansas. Coach Hanlon's the most influential person I've ever been involved with, and I had him for 12 years on our sidelines. Just what he's meant to me personally, and then I'm sure he's meant the same to the staffs that have worked with him. He's just unbelievable, and what I wanted to try to do with our guys is just try to establish some type of scholarship so that we can give that out to a uh, senior football player. And then with that as well, raise some money for the kids, you know, as the season goes. 
that they'll have to uh, use, you know, whether it be feeding or just different stuff that these guys um, have to uh, to try to purchase if they can't purchase it. That's what that's about. I mean, like I've talked to Mike a little bit, and Mike just kind of, you know, kids are going to come up here and they're not going to know, you know, who, who Coach Hamlin is eventually. And when we were down at Emily Field, Gerald Chang Emily, he was – that's that's the field that was named after. So I researched that, and he was a custodian at St. Mary's High School. And I felt like I was one of the playoff runs that we had. He had a monument there as you pulled into the school, if you remember that. Right. I remember, you know, one of the playoff runs. I don't know if I took the team out there, took a picture. That was just important. And then just, I just think all the names that we have up there, you know, the uh, family that. Uh, Trying to think of the family, but the family that did the all the monuments there as you pull into the school, you know that's important. Dan Greenleaf, Rosenleaf, the auditorium named after FFA building out there after the Hammett. So there's just different stuff that I think is important. The same with the with the field. I think that's important as kids come up through that uh, they don't lose that association with that person even though they may not directly know that person i think it's important for them to know how much uh that they contributed to whatever is named after them and i think this year we started running some some laps around the field there and i call them handlings and and they're they're good conditioning for the guys you know i just thankfully have mike and kathy's blessing to uh continue to um, thank you coach hannon because i feel like as long as i'm there I feel like that's that's an important part of St. Mary's High School history, just like Gerald Chang Emily is still an important part of St. Mary's High School history. So that's what that's about, and that's what it hopefully will continue to do uh, as long as I'm coaching it. These folks live on as long as we continue to talk about them and remember them, and they are who made St. Mary's St. Mary's. It's the first ever Coach Bill Hanlon. A win is a win is a win night. That's Friday, August 14th at Bill Hanlon Stadium at 7.30 p.m. The money raised will go toward creating a Bill Hanlon scholarship. It's going to go toward the end zone club to help with some of the costs and some of the needs of the players, as Coach was talking about. Uh, there'll be a bench press competition. There'll be, it'll be a lift-a-thon there. Seven-on-seven action, an obstacle course. Fans can attend, I do believe, right? It'll be virtual just because okay. we're in a situation where we don't know what's happening yet from the sack office. So what we're doing is 93 yards going to come up, and they're going to do a virtual uh, just kind of like, you know, telling those that are listening, parents or fans, uh, what's going on. I think it'll be a very, very good evening. Uh, we're going to take the weight equipment out of the weight room, so that's going to give an opportunity for the custodian to go in there and disinfect the weight room. We'll get out there, we'll do the lift-a-thon, we'll do the hot obstacle course with the whole team, and we'll do the 7-on-7 seven seven among us ourselves. I may try to do like a big man challenge with our linemen, so it'll be a, it'll be a nice uh, nice event for uh, Coach Hamlin's, uh, you know, as, as we try to raise the money for the, that scholarship and uh, whatever else that, that the guys need. We're looking forward to it. Coach, thank you for your time today. I know I've taken up a huge chunk of your time today, and I appreciate it. And, uh, looking forward to seeing you down the road, and uh, good luck to you this season. Uh, I appreciate it. And that, that family was the Schultz family, too, by the way. Very uh, good. Glad, glad you got that in there because I wasn't able to come up with it either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Tim, Tim, Tim and John and and their their family, they I think it was Boy Scouts that put that up there. That's that's very neat. As you pull in uh, St. Mary's High School, there you'll see uh, all those names that came from the high school downtown. Well, thank you for your time, Coach, and good luck to you this season. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate the coverage.
I want to thank Coach Jody Moe for talking to us once again and for the time today. And one of the things that was so cool that I thought he said back there was just how much it meant to him to honor the people that have come before. Talking about Gerald Shang Emily, who was the namesake of Emily Field, the old stadium where St. Mary's used to play their football games and was really a community center for a long time. And Bill Hanlon, who is now the namesake of Bill Hanlon Stadium at the new high school. You could have kids come in and people come in for generations and not have any clue who these things were named for, who they were named after. But to Coach Moe, that's an important thing. It's important to him that people know who built this program. People know why they were important to the program and why they are important to the school and the community. Like I told him, if people stop talking about them, then we don't remember them. And as long as we talk about them and as long as we keep them first and foremost, then we remember them and remember who they are and their legacy lives on. Uh, I thought it was a really cool piece to teach and how important that we talk about that on an episode where we've already talked about who deserves to have things named after them and what names should stay, what names should maybe go, and why people are important and why they merit having something named after them. I've already taken up a lot of time, so I'll wrap this up quickly. This week's poll question, should West Virginia consider shifting their fall sports schedule to spring because of COVID-19? As we record this and release this on a Wednesday, I know the governor's going to talk later today and allegedly has something about schools that he wants to say. This could be rendered null and void, so keep that in mind by the time you listen to this and uh, respond to that question. And again, the question, should West Virginia consider shifting their fall sports schedule to spring because of COVID-19? Already a lot of votes, already some interesting feedback. We'll talk about that next week. I also had some thoughts I want to share on Nathan Tanner's comment from last week about COVID. He was talking about how his varsity team couldn't meet because they were considered exposed. Someone's parent worked with someone that got COVID-19. So as a result, the parent needed to be tested. As a result, the player needed to be tested. Tests aren't readily available for people in the general community like they are. A lot of times you're seeing in, in the major leagues, people getting tested multiple times a week, multiple times a day. That's happening in bigger cities and bigger areas. There are clinics in this area that depends on your insurance and how much you're willing to pay to get tested. Not nearly the amount of free testing exists that needs to exist all over the place, but especially not in rural areas. But either way, it's just interesting to hear that and that's how narrow of a thread we're on right now. The people can be affected because of someone that your parent works with or someone that even comes in touch with or, or in contact with vaguely a player and then that person will come in contact with their entire team. There's good and there's bad in it. One, it's good that people are being careful with something we don't know a lot about. We still don't know much about the long-term impacts of COVID. So it's not like the chicken pox, where if you get it, you're immune to that for the rest of your life. This is something we don't know about and how it's going to affect people in the long term. So we got to be careful with it as such. But I feel like some of those policies, while good, are either going to bring one of two things. Either you're going to get a big community effort that's going to take to keep teams playing, meaning that you're going to have to, like, unless you live with those student-athletes, maybe be okay not seeing them as as much as you'd like to and seeing them out on the football field. I know that some people you develop relationships with them, they're, they're buddies, but I know that I'm going to be distant from some of the coaches that I usually interact with, and by extension the players as well, but it's going to take a big community effort to keep yourself safe and healthy and to keep those players safe and healthy if you want high school football to happen and really just general life to happen as you want it to happen right now. But the other thing that's going to happen, and this is the downside of it, I think a lot of people are going to lie and hide symptoms. Maybe not as much at the high school level, but at the college level. Uh, you're going to see that as well. But it could also happen to the high school level. That thing is uh, that's just a cold. That's just a fever. And, and and maybe it is just a fever, a stomach ache, or a cold, or fill-in-the-blank symptoms here. But you could have...
have a community spread that comes from just a team gathering. And to be honest, if that happens, it's kind of like trying to hide a fart in an elevator. There's not a whole lot of escape for it, and it's going to be traced back to you pretty easily. If a spread is based to any team, not just a team around here, that's going to be negative publicity, and that's going to only further the shut-it-down calls. And I'm not saying that I'm for shutting it down. I'm not saying that I'm for keeping it open necessarily. There are legitimate risks involved with playing this season, and I think we all need to understand that and recognize that and appreciate anything that we get if we get it. It'll be interesting to see how we move forward with that as the law of the land. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud or through Apple Podcasts. You can find us there and download us as well. Again, if you haven't liked the Facebook page yet, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. We do this every Wednesday. There's polls posted usually Monday or Tuesday of each week, and they expire on the Monday of the following week. So like this, participate in those polls, comment on those polls. We'll talk about your uh, feedback on the show, and this can be your show as well. Join us next week. We'll have much more. Again, the show drops next Wednesday, so stick with us, and uh, we'll continue to follow the latest twists and turns in the fall sports season or whether or not there even will be one. My name is Eric Little. Thank you for joining us on the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. We'll do it again next week. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode, and thanks for listening.